Phones on silent, people. Phones on oh, silent. Yeah, well done. Yeah, yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Discipline. I can put it on silent, but I can't take it. Put it on an airplane. I'm afraid for Why? reasons of Carpet Man. Carpet Man. The superhero nobody wants to be. Is he from Mexico? Underlay, underlay. Is he? I was just thinking, actually. We, we've got a nice underlay. It was one of the cheaper ones, but it's so much different to the underlay that we previously had. How old are you? You're genuinely, talking about underlay. Genuinely, I am bounding on the new carpet like it is the surface of the moon. It is just extraordinary. You do have to invest in underlay. There's no point just spending Can't on the carpet. You say underlay without him going. Do you do realise I'm 50 years old? You're not 50. You're not, I you're should be saying no. why you need do you to invest in one? underlay. Why, why do you always add one? You're at the age where you should I'm be very nearly skewing 50. young, not skewing high. You add one. You're only just 49. I'm, I'm closing in on 50. We've only just started planning your 50th birthday celebration. Oh, so let's not be too soon. Oh He'd be as furious about that as I would be as if they were for, for, for my 40. I'm going diving with great white sharks. That's what I'm doing. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm scared of sharks. You're scared of so many things. I am. What about a cage? Could we put you in a cage and throw you in with the sharks? Would that be all right? And that's meant to be something I'll enjoy. Well, they can't get at you. Of course well. they can get at you. They're sharks. They might be. They've got hands, haven't they? They can open doors. <laughs> the chances no, no, of that's velociraptors. Oh, yeah. yeah the chances like of him losing a limb are reduced significantly if you're in a cage. Also, how many of your limbs genuinely mm. are actually working or original? I, c I could definitely lose my left knee. Yes, but that's it. Yeah. Do a deal. Do yeah, a yeah. deal with the great white. Say, yeah. look, if you're going to take anything, left leg below the yeah. knee. Just, it's pretty much just useless. Just dangle to that anyway. outside the cage and say, go on, take it off. Have, have it dangling like it did on that fateful day in 1990, whatever it was. Six? Uh, did, when, when, did you do, when did you do your knee first time? First time? Yeah. Oh, about 1992. 1992. I, did it, I think every year in the 90s. Which was, which was first, <laughs> right or left? Uh, left. Left. So, left. so that's the yes. one that you can, that you can stand to lose. Uh, not really, because I quite like walking. Could like, be quite tricky. I think, you'll find, I think you'll find there are many people who have uh, managed to overcome uh, similar and indeed worse problems. Um, yeah, but I'm not that strong, am yeah. I? I'm not mentally strong. No, that's true. I'm <laughs> weak. So weak that uh, whilst Nikki is away in Portugal building your house, yeah. you have enlisted her mother to essentially mollycoddle you through. No, she is dog sitting. Is that that, she is dog sitting. It's, she is. It seems an awful lot like she's chinch sitting. <laughs> she, I think she's chinch she sitting. She does do a lot for me, though. But chinch old people feeding. tend to like to feed you and make you cups of tea. So what are you going to do? Whose food or water does she change more often? Lola's yeah. or yours? Um, that is a close call. That is a close call. Who but, requires more walking? Uh, Lola. Definitely. Well, we've already ascertained Definitely. that Bad you knees. and walking don't have a particularly no, good I do walk the dog. I don't make Kay, an 80-year-old woman, go out in the wind and rain and walk the dog. She only feeds it and picks up his excrement. I... <laughs> So I do the hard stuff. She I walk behind you dog. as you walk the dog, picking up the excrement. You won't even, when no, walking I, I the dog, pick, pick up the excrement. Pick, when, it's, when she's walking in poops, I pick that up. But anything she does at home, that's not, that's not in my remit. Kay, get the old rubber gloves on. Get it picked up. <laughs> if, that's if, how it works. If Kay wasn't here, how bereft would you be? Well, the, Lola would have to go back into kennels. I'll put one of my dogs in kennels, but Lola isn't fit for kennels because she's a very sensitive soul. That's why I've kept her at home doing the right thing, got the old duffer in to look after the dog. That's the way. That's what they're for. <laughs> that's what. Your mother-in-law. What else is she going to do with she's, her time? She's closed the door, but you have she a lovely yeah. little open-plan window setting. She can hear me. She's she's so she can. can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kay, I apologise for your son-in-law's behaviour. You, yes, exactly. You should have learned that many, she many years ago. She loves being here. She does love... She punches the air when <laughs> my car turns up on her driveway to whisk her off to Woodford. She with, loves it. With no notice whatsoever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she hasn't even got her clothes on. Just put her in the car, drive off. How, how long did, did Kay's warnings to Nikki run all the way up to the wedding day? I mean, was it her last words to Nikki before she walked up the aisle? Don't do it. This is the a bad idea. Idiot. You like me, Kay, don't you? She oh. loves me. She loves me. What you don't realise is that she is still in her dressing gown, <laughs> having not been allowed to return home to pick up any clothes so that she can actually live a normal life whilst chin-shitting. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food has been provided at Andy Hinchcliffe's house. Woo! On Andy Hinchcliffe's dining room table. Cooked in Andy Hinchcliffe's kitchen. And yet... 
the significant person has been Andy Hinchcliffe's mother-in-law in providing us with this food. Uh, so thank you, Kay, for the wonderful food. It has been pasta and meatballs um, with a side serving of pasta salad and coleslaw. So strotter pretty. Strotter pretty. Is what it that is, that is the is prettiest called? of all strotters. It is. <laughs> it is. With chunky coleslaw. Which, of course, Steve doesn't like. The meatballs more than made up for anything on the table that I wouldn't consume. Mm. They I, could were have, I could have gone double meatballs. Genuinely, genuinely sensational. We are so full that we haven't even tackled the trifle that is well, awaiting yes. Yes. us for pudding. With me, Hugh Ferris, our Stephen Wyeth, who has had absolutely no scrapes with death this week. And... Andy Hinchcliffe, who is here very much in spite of the cloaked one's attempts to take him far too early. He stared him down on the M42 and said, no thanks, sunshine. I've got a pod recording to get to. This is not your time, big fella. This is not Go your back time. out into the world and pundit your way to fame. Will That's he... what the Grim Reaper said <laughs> in a conversation yes. with Alan Partridge. Yes. Tell us a little bit about how a Ford S-Max saved your life. Well, we, it was on... The weather was absolutely dreadful. It wasn't reckless driving. This is the beast from the east the beast, weather yes, that yes. struck the UK last week. Which is it's actually quite ironic because the, the rain that then got hit by the beast from the east that caused all the snow actually came from Portugal. Is that right? It's right. It came up from the Balearics. So you which bought it back. You bought it back with on you. The no, I bring it back on with me. I've been back quite some time, but that's what happened. It was all this rain that came up from the Balearics from Portugal, hit the beast from the east, all the snow came down on the M forty, M forty two Chinch driving very sensibly to, at the speed limit, 50 miles an hour because it had been reduced because of the weather, hit a patch of slush stroke ice, slid across two lanes, bosh into the uh, barrier in the hard shoulder, poof, went the airbag. <laughs> And, for, and I nearly got speared. I nearly got kebabbed through the side of the passenger door by the, the barrier that I crashed into. It's a miracle I'm, I'm, I'm alive, but thank God I am. And the, and the, the strange thing is, you, you, generally speaking, you are uh, quite a melodramatic gentleman. What? And yet, when you revealed news of this to the WhatsApp group... Yeah. Simply just a picture of a motorway barrier spearing a Ford S-Max saying... Chinch is alive! <laughs> I had to get the message across. I didn't want there to be any doubt. But the fact that I actually put that on the WhatsApp maybe made you think that at least my thumbs were working. I thought it was a, I thought it was a shame <laughs> that without a nod to your employers, you didn't go, breaking news, yes. Chinch is alive. I just, how many people would have genuinely gone, woo, great, he's alive? I just don't think people really would be that bothered. It was approaching the Facebook, and you're not on Facebook, so you're not particularly aware of this, but the the quintessential needy Facebook post, which is feeling sad and not explaining anymore, had a terrible day, not explaining anymore. Mm. You did Chinches Alive with at least a picture, (laughs) but then not explaining more. But involving picture, us the immediately in the conversation. You, the picture didn't really. What a car, very dark. crashed car with a, a could have been somebody back. else. Why would I send you a picture of somebody else's <laughs> crashed car? Because you could have been responsible. But for then it. it got your interest, didn't it? Then you said, "What's happened there?" Then it have was you had rather, a car crash? It was rather attention-seeking, wasn't it? Because he waited no, for it. all of us to respond with a "What?" <laughs> or a "WTF" before he actually filled in the blanks. Well, you were very kind, but um, um, Rory, what did he reply by saying, "I can't believe this is, is true. You drive a Ford." S-Max, not the fact that I have the crash. He was then critical of my of the car I was driving. Which we should say was a higher yes, car. It did a cracking so, job. Thankfully your golf is okay. And it, it was yeah, the, the, the roll cage in that passenger door, uh, the driver's door saved me from getting speared, but also my very manly muffin top. That's why men should always keep their muffin tops, just in case you get speared by a roadside barrier. Do you think your gold-plated Lamborghini would have survived quite so well under no, the circumstances? No, it crushed me, crushed me. But actually, I had to go down to London and back again, so I, I drove past the scene of the accident. <laughs> oh, did you? And the barrier hasn't been repaired. There's just a series of cones, and I'm convinced they're going to put a statue to me there. Because it, it would make sense, wouldn't it? It would. A statue, first of all, is usually yeah. for somebody who's done something good. Exactly. And tick. often is dead. No, I've not ticked that box. So you didn't tick that box, so no ah. statue. The cones, I think, are enough. They are reminiscent of a training session, for ah. example, involving the young Chinch yes. uh, when all his limbs worked. So you managed yeah. to go to Crystal Palace and back yes. this week. Yeah. No I dramas? I didn't drive, though. Someone else was driving because oh, right, okay. they didn't trust me to drive down there. Clearly. There would have been drama. You were right. You will surely drive that route ourselves quite soon. Maybe hmm. we should half-inch one of Chinch's England caps whilst we're here. 
and then we can sort of just lay it just lay to it rest oh, on the, beautiful. On the and it, yeah. it will have a much better purpose there than well, it's it not has in this stolen, is it? No one's going to want that, are they? Uh, so Chinch is alive, everybody. This is breaking news. It has a yellow ticker on the bottom of this podcast, <laughs> and you now know and probably weren't at all concerned about it. Any uh, potential eulogies for Chinch, always welcome. Do get in touch at setpiecemenu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Can I put it out? Can someone write me an obituary? So if I had died... <laughs> I want this. this, no, this I find, no, no, seriously, this could be hilarious. I'd really like that just to sum up my life, encapsulate what my life has meant to so many people out there. I'd love to hear it. So the chinch near obituary. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. pulling back the curtain, obviously, in the media, you do have. Yep. High-profile obits yeah. already in the can, just in case. So maybe this is the one that we could have. Be hilarious, uh, just in case. And then we'll get like Siri and McKellen to read it or something. I and, just, uh, I just want to. Go. I, I clearly know the impacts I've had on people's lives, but I, I would like to hear it. So basically, what we're asking for is that the holding chinch obituary, and then imagine that some Sky Sports intern has haplessly pressed. <laughs> Publish yes. on that obit a yes. little bit too, hopefully about 40 years too soon. <laughs> and bearing in mind, um, we do, within our number, have an excellent uh, and eloquent writer who isn't here today. He managed to get away with not submitting one. So uh, anything that you'd like to send regarding Chinch's um, death at setpiecemenu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. To your correspondence, um, and it starts with PM Dixon on Twitter, who said, just when I thought the Guardian pod was the most middle class, you open, this is last week, we're talking about Ski holidays, sponsorships from cheese shops, and being pedantic about the question that we set. I had to go to work in a coal mine for a half a day, says PM Dixon, to feel normal afterward. Um, <laughs> he's from British Columbia in Canada, is, uh, is PM Dixon, who's offered us some uh, lovely Canadian treats next time he visits Manchester. You are very welcome here, and we will take that. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks also for all your correspondence about the SPLPL, which is the set-piece menu Premier League. The top 20 teams based on size, history, geography, and current relevance too. We'll get to those in a moment, and also to those who um, continue to debate what's the best goal, what not which. And on that very subject, our first email comes from Thomas Spiegel, the communications director of Schalke 04. I know Thomas. Ah, He's a Thomas. fine, fine man. Hello, Thomas. Uh, lovely to hear from you. Thank you. Our Schalke correspondent writes, since the early 70s in Germany, there's been a goal of the month award voted for by fans. Whenever a bicycle kick is in the race, nine out of ten times that goal wins. Germans seem to be mad for it. I've mancunianized it. He didn't write that. Yeah. And although the most famous bicycle kick goal scorer, Klaus Fischer, and Thomas has sent us a link to a goal for Germany against Switzerland in 1977. You can YouTube it if you'd like. Even though Klaus Fischer is from Schalke, says Thomas, I find this a little bit one-dimensional. He then sends a link to Carlos Alberto's goal in the 1970 World Cup final, which we can all agree is completely splendid. Thomas says is Pele's cool pass after a great move with a couple of moments of individual skill. Which, Thomas is both a witch and, and a, a what. So, Thomas, bravo. Yeah. Bravo. You can continue the discussion Wunderbar. at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Do you know what the German for bicycle kick is? Please tell me. I saw this recently. It's Fullrückzieher. Uh, Thomas, you can comment upon the uh, pronunciation uh, by Steve Wyeth uh, at your leisure. Now, such has been your response to the 20-team top flight of big clubs, the SPMPL. Uh, we're actually going to keep this one going. Um, it has been raging on Twitter, certainly this week. Um, the general themes seem to be that I get annoyed with the fact that people aren't representing the whole country geographically. Other people seem to get annoyed that somebody else has suggested that their club isn't as big as their club, um, which is certainly um, fodder for which uh, Twitter is famous. Um, and what we're going to do just to, to, to move the conversation on is reveal Chinch's 20 teams, because then that will be a, a, another starting point for your conversation. And some of the ones that have been submitted via email and set-piece menu, uh, we'll return to in a couple of weeks' time. But Chinch, yes. I think we're all happy, aren't we? Mm. Certainly amongst the group, and quite a lot of the correspondence has dictated this too, that we've got, say, 15 definites that everybody yeah, seems to agree with. We'll just yeah. run through yeah, them quickly. Yeah, yeah. United City, Liverpool, Everton, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, West Ham, Newcastle, Sunderland, Leeds, Sheffield, Wednesday, Wolves, Villa, Forest. Now, that caters for your geographical spread. So, is that 15? No, that's 15. 15. Northwest, North East, London and Midlands. Now, yeah. what we can say is that there'll be one extra Midlands team to make it four out of all of those main areas, not only of the country, but of also uh, football representation. Yeah. 
And now we're going to add in a couple of the peripheral geographical areas and try and pick some of the best clubs to represent our, if everything was reset, which would be the best 20 teams to represent England? Now, we're going to add one from the South Coast. We're, we're Southampton. No. Southampton, so we're happy yes. to add. Southampton. Um, this is for you, obviously. Yep. Others may disagree. Yep. East Anglia. Uh, Ipswich. And now we've got a southwest slash wales Ooh, this is this is this is where it gets tricky and this, this has is where been the hot, angry. hot contentious yeah. topic on so, twitter in the last couple of days antagonize loads of people chinch if you're going yeah. to pick one of bristol city cardiff or swansea which would you like to pick bristol city bristol city and then we're going to add in one from lancashire yes so we've got for example burnley blackpool preston blackburn preston preston so those are the 20 teams that uh, chinch oh no you wanted one other midlands club which is uh, derby you want derby because derby, was West Brom was, I was maybe thinking of, but I plumped for Derby. So, in addition to the 15 teams that most of you and us are agreed on, we have added Derby, Southampton, Ipswich, Bristol City, and, and no, Leicester. no Leicester in there, is there? No and Leicester. no room for Leicester. Uh, so, get tweeting, send us emails at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Now, today is one of our chinch specials bearing in mind that rory is Long unable overdue. to be uh, with us uh, this week because he is gallivanting around europe in fact um he is in paris uh, currently we've done set pieces way back when it was actually episode eight would wow. you believe uh, but really only very briefly during that episode talked about corners so we'll call that a preamble for this week's show and it was indeed a year ago so andy is ready to vent again in fact such is the frequency with which chinch complains about short corners oh don't get me going on short corners <laughs> we've had people wondering why Perhaps a short corner hurt him in the past, for example. When he was a teenager and he was, you know, in love with a short corner and short corner actually went for his <laughs> classmate instead. In fact, the football writer Rupert Fryer tweeted us a few weeks ago to say, can you ask Chinch why he hates short corners so much? I'd suggest the attacking team should almost always take it short when opposition only sends one over to mark the short corner takers. It's an automatic two versus one and everyone else is usually man to man so it unsettles the marking. Now, Chinch, before you launch yourself from a long run up, even though Rory isn't here, mm. he did take time to pop over to see Steve and I to lay down his own thoughts on tape. Good afternoon, Great Britain and the world. This is Rory Smith speaking. Um, I'm not here this week, unfortunately, because I'm in Paris uh, watching the PSG Real Madrid game, which is very exciting. I'd obviously rather be with Steve, Hugh and particularly Chinch. Uh, but uh, I'm not, and I'm in Paris, having dinner with my sister instead, before the game, and then I'm working. I thought she'd left, pa I thought she'd moved away from Paris. No, she refuses to. She refuses to. What, for the odd time that you she need She doesn't her? even have her own <laughs> toilet, and she refuses to leave. Awful. Say that again. She, she lives in a, leave to go to the toilet. She lives in a top floor flat in, in one of the arrondissements, in a very sort of old-fashioned building, and her flat is effectively the servants' quarters of what was an aristocratic house, which means that it does not have a toilet attached. She shares a toilet with another flat, which I consider for a 36-year-old woman who has a perfectly good job a little bit beyond the pale. She may well have a large bladder, which makes it less no, an issue. No, Rachel Smith, interesting fact, goes to the toilet a lot. <laughs> she, um, she constantly goes to, not constantly, but she, <laughs> she, is, she is not large bladdered. I can, I can assure you of that, of my sister. Anyway, uh, but I'm here to talk to you, to you all about corners. <laughs> I'm going to stop doing this, it's weird. Uh, I'm torn on corners, which is partly why it's maybe a good thing I'm not. You're, you're corner torn. I'm torn torn. It's probably quite a good thing I'm not part of this discussion uh, because objectively, you shouldn't do what Chinch wants you to do, to do from corners and send them into the box because the, the numbers don't work. So, the, in the numbers game, the excellent book by Chris Anderson and David Sally, edited, edited by. by Rory Smith, uh, it was found and then expressed beautifully that um, the, the, like the, the percentage of chances that come from corners is pathetic. It's like, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's kind of one in every ten corners will lead to a direct chance. And then of those chances one in an, another 10 might lead to a goal so your chances of scoring a goal from a corner is like 0.7% or something tiny so it makes much more sense to take it short keep possession work an angle and create a better quality chance that are, you, are you saying the roar of a crowd when a corner kick is won <laughs> is slightly optimistic it's completely misplaced except when playing against my old Sunday league team in London where we used to concede from basically every corner <laughs> uh, to the extent that our captain uh, once said that 
opposition teams would, would soon work this out and would start wheeling away in celebration just winning the corner um, the, we just wouldn't head the ball we were all very uh, poncy uh, the middle class people don't head the ball no, we know that no. as a rule the, that was before I learned to make a window and break it which is how John Terry heads the ball that's right the, on an objective level short corners make sense on a visceral emotional level I think it's a wasted opportunity not to at least trouble the defence. Especially now, you see so many teams, and it, it's it's always Liverpool that sort of single, or Liverpool and Arsenal that are singled out. But I think a lot of teams have trouble defending high balls, and I I do think there is a value in a lot of contexts, not every context, but there's a value for teams in a lot of situations to kind of just ask the question, even if you're not going to create a chance. And the 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 world of analysts and data scientists who surround football and are very welcome would would query that. But I just think there is an intangible benefit to saying, to basically sacrificing the game to chaos for a few seconds, to saying, you don't know what's going to happen here. None of us know exactly what's going to happen because there's so many moving parts at a corner. So many things can happen that you do, you could get a ricochet. And I think for a team that, obviously for a team that's sitting back and allowing the opposition much more of the ball, you have to ask those questions from, from set pieces. I think for teams that all teams that are underdogs, really, teams who maybe do have a bit of aerial strength against the opponents, who who that might be a um, a, a problem for teams who are having trouble breaking down deep set defences. Just take it, take away all the planning, take away all the science and all the preparation. Just throw yourselves to chance. That there is part of me that thinks that's actually not a bad idea. Every time I see a short corner. I think that is the sensible thing to do. You are doing the right thing. I know sort of with my mind you're doing the right thing. But then I am inherently British. So I do, when I, whenever I see a team win a corner, I think, oh, come on, here we go. There's me a goal. Even though there's never a goal. Goals from corners are really, really rare. But I think that the seeds of doubt that corners create can themselves be quite valuable. Even, do you know, long, like long term in, in just slightly, not distressing, but slightly unbalancing a defence a little bit, worrying a defence. I think you should never give up an opportunity to worry a defence. That is the Rory Smith manifesto on corners. What a manifesto. What a manifesto. And beautifully split right down the middle so that we can have a further conversation. Yeah, that tees you up, doesn't it? Rory, thank you. Arriva Dirci, as they say in Paris. Absolutely. I will send your love to my sister, who you... You are, actually, when people hear this, you are currently sending yeah. our love... No, to be fair, when people hear this, I will have probably already have, have, e- have eaten with my sister. Is is there a French equivalent of right move that you could perhaps direct her towards? <laughs> well, you can tick a box saying I'm, toilet. I've been trying to persuade her to to move flat, but it's very expensive, Paris. It's very expensive. A lot of people don't have toilets in Paris. The that's not true. Most people have toilets <laughs> in Paris. The no, I've been, it's very expensive. She can't. She can't. She likes her flat, and she can't necessarily afford to move to somewhere much bigger. Although I do feel that she should move to somewhere with a toilet. That's important. I, I feel that's important to her at this stage. It would of her seem life. quite high up the list of criteria for a residence for someone in their mid thirties. We in London. This is my final toilet-related story. Once looked, we were thinking about buying in London, and then realised pretty quickly we couldn't afford to. And one of the reasons that we worked out we couldn't afford to buy anything that was even vaguely decent was when a, a an estate agent showed us round a flat. And living room it was quite a modern flat, and the living room was it was all sort of plywood floors and stuff. It was it was nice. It wasn't it wasn't especially kind of eye catching. Just a normal sort of bog standard flat, really. <laughs> bog standard. So we we um, we we looked around the living room. You would settle of, for just any standard yes. bog will do. And and we were like, yeah, this is fine. And then the kitchen, it was a little sort of porthole kitchen thing. It was fine. And we were sort of thinking, well, you know, it was, I think it was in a decent area and we sort of, it was quite convenient for Kate's work and stuff. And we sort of thinking, this is, this is, this is all right. And then um, we got into the bedroom and the toilet was in the bedroom, <laughs> but not like, you know, in certain like trendy hotels, it's, it, it's in the same room, but it's sort of partitioned off with like a frosted glass wall. Yes. It wasn't. It was just in the, just there was, no, there was a wall around it. But you wouldn't if you'd if you'd been standing up as gentlemen do, if you'd been standing up, you would have been able to. I would have been able to to see Kate's face, <laughs> and more importantly, she should have been able to see. She would have been able to see mine. And obviously, if you're sitting down, as both both genders do, then or two of the genders, there's lots of genders. The um the then it would have all been kind of obvious what was happening, and the we were sort of. We got hit, and I think we both sort of giggled, and we said, "Right, how's he going to swing this one?" And he went. There's this really modern bathroom feature. And Kate went, it's not a modern bathroom feature. It's a toilet in a room. Your toilet is in your bedroom. And he he just looked at it as if to say, well, it's London. Uh, we didn't buy the flat. 
So everything Rory wanted to tell us about corners and considerably more, it would seem. Yeah, too Quite much. a bit more about toilets. <laughs> yeah. Either the lack of or the strange location of them. 50% toilets, 50% corners. Do you uh, want me to stick to the corners aspects? Yes, unless you have any any outhouse toilets. Okay. Strong opinions there. So Rory's saying that he is torn because the numbers suggest the short corners are the way to go, but also he understands the intangible element of unsettling defensive organisation by just throwing the ball in the box. Yes. So, bearing in mind that we have, I think, spoken quite a few times about the fact that you dislike short corners, perhaps you could um, say why the numbers don't actually matter, in your opinion. I, I, I do agree that you can't argue with the stats in terms of goals scored from corners, in particular. My argument would always be is who is taking the corner and who is attacking the corner changes that, I feel, quite drastically. We had a lot of success at Everton. And this is what I base... on. You have to base it on what you did and the success that you had and why things worked and why things didn't and the problems you can cause to teams defensively. We had some very good headers of the ball on the end of set pieces and also what I was taught to do and what you were trying to instill in the opposition defensive, the problems you were trying to cause them, worked time after time after time. Now, was that just specific to me and the players I had on the end of my corners? Very possibly. But that's what I'm saying. If you work at it and get someone who can deliver the ball better and into the right areas consistently, your chances of scoring from a set piece are greatly enhanced and you've got good people who can attack the ball at the end as well. And most teams don't have the luxury of playing and scoring goals from open play. So it's becoming more important now from set pieces to actually work on them to give yourself maybe just that extra 1%, even if it's 1%, 2%. If you give yourself a little bit of an extra chance of scoring from a, from a free kick in a corner, why wouldn't you take it? And I do also feel now defences are more vulnerable from set pieces because modern defenders, from what I've watched over the last five years, are getting less and less brave and are less and less inclined to want to get their head on things when the ball is whipped into the penalty area. They want to defend in that glamorous way where you take the ball down and come stepping out majestically from defence. They don't want to do the horrible bits and get hit in the face with the ball, which is what we try to do and put defenders in horrible positions, take the keeper out of the equation, make it very difficult for defence. And it did work. It did work a hell of a lot, a lot more than the, the stats would tell you if you looked at how the success we had with Everton. Explain your process. Mm. How much um, set-piece training did you do in the days leading up to a every game. Day, every single day. And genuinely, did you try and fashion the kind of set piece that you would then be able to deliver? Or yeah, were there a yeah, number yeah. of alternatives that you would... No, we 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 worked out. It was Willie Donachy, uh, working with Neville Southall as well, trying to find out what he didn't want to happen from a corner. And he, he, he talking to him... We were saying, well, do, do you really worry when a corner is given against you and you've got a good set piece taken? He said, yeah, absolutely, because if it's done correctly, I can be taken out of the equation. The goalkeeper wants to dominate the six-yard box because he can jump higher than anybody else and he can use his hands. So we talked to him about saying, right, what can we do? Where should I deliver a ball from either side that would give us the best chance of taking a goalkeeper out of the equation? Once you take the keeper out of the equation you also give yourself a lot greater chance of, of, of scoring goals as well because you see a lot of these set pieces just chipped in keeper comes and catches it it's a complete waste of time it's catching practice you, so you get even I think you get even more annoyed about a floated ball in than you do yes, a short but corner. again going back to what I was taught and the success we had and I do feel it wasn't as if well it just happened to work for us at that time it's because of the process of working out where we should be putting the ball consistently flattened with pace to take the keeper out of the equation. They're the three main things that I was taught. Where you put the ball, the pace you put on it, how flat it is, you get it over the first man, you make sure the keeper can't come and collect it. If you do all that, again, you enhance your chances of scoring and then you get players attacking three or four different areas. Who are you looking at when you... Um, Nobody. You don't, you don't, you're not, not picking this, out a player to never. try and hit no. it on their forehead. No, that's where a lot of players, I feel fall into the trap of trying to pick somebody out. I say it all the time in commentary. All you're trying to do is put the ball on a trajectory that you've practised day in and day out. That is your job. That is all you can do is put the ball in that. You might have one um, opportunity a game. You might have 10. But your process is exactly the same. I had an area that we, what we did, we had, um, <clears throat> we had a steel ring, basically, that, we, that was kind of a, like a lamppost, but basically with a steel ring that was, say, about four feet wide. And we used to stand that on the corner of the six-yard box. 
And all I had to try and do was put the ball through that rig. That's all I had to think about because if trying to pick out Duncan Ferguson or Paul Ryder or Dave Watson or Dave Unsworth in a crowded penalty area is pretty much impossible to do. From open play, when maybe it's one against one, you can maybe get away with saying, I'm intentionally trying to pick him out. But in a crowded penalty area where people are on the move, it's a waste of time. So, right, we said, right, don't try and do that. Put the ball through that ring. If you do that, you take the keeper out of the equation, you get the ball over the first man, and the players that you want to try and hit are all on the move towards the opposition goal. I might underhit it slightly, it might end up at the near post. I might slightly overhit it, end up in the centre of goal. Might overhit it a little bit more, it'll end up at the far post. So we had players attacking different areas because I couldn't guarantee it was going to go exactly through the centre of that ring every time I took a did, set piece. Did you, did, how, many, how many did you? In, in training. Been, well, because once you get into it's like a golfer. That's why golfers practice. They don't practice looking at the ball. They practice the contact because the contact is what it's all about. It's not about, well, I've hit the ball. Let's see where it ends up. If you hit the ball correctly, you know where it ends up. That's what golfers practice in their putting. And when they, they play any distance shots, they know where the ball's gone from the contact they make. So I was taught all you can concerned about is the contact you make on the ball. So if you get it right, it will end up not exactly in the middle of that, but it'll go through. And if you get it into a, a, an area that's four feet, a circle that's four feet wide, you've got a hell of a chance of causing almighty problems to, to a team because the ball is moving in towards the goal it's flat it's pacey beating the first man keeper can't come and collect it because he can't the flight of it the, the ball's moving too quickly and your teammates can just basically steam in on top of it in, at different areas near post centre of goal and far post I remember when we we did the, the podcast on set pieces in general and you were talking about direct free kicks and yes. you were talking about contact between your boot and the ball being the most important thing yeah, yeah. in those circumstances as well, which is why you tried to convince us you were a better free kick taker than Glenn Hoddle, Matt Letizier and David Beckham. And Roberto Carlos. I and Roberto Carlos, sorry, well. I forgot Still that. Below he, me. he wasn't yeah. at that England training session, but uh, but I'm sure. I just, why he was? Oh yeah, I know why. One of their spies would have been filming it though. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you are making this seem incredible, A, incredibly easy oh, and B, uh, 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 well, mm. okay. But does it make sense? What I'm trying to what, say, what you're saying makes logically, it makes, it makes sense. It made sense to me as soon as I was told this is what we're trying to plan to do. Okay, yeah, I can see that. So don't worry about anything else. Just worry about this. So you are talking about it as being a skill that can be practiced yeah. and perfected. Mm -hmm. I can understand that there, some are going to be better than others and maybe that those who are exceptional at it might be few and far between. Why do we not see more people who are simply adequate at it? Why are so many corners wasted? by failing to, to beat the first player mm. or by being over hit or by being hit on, on that wrong arc. You were talking yeah, about yeah, the arc yeah, of the yeah, ball yeah. That, that don't seem to be anywhere near an intended target. Yeah, if, even with that, I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of away swinging corners as well, but when I was taking them from the other side of the pitch, so not an in-swinger or an out-swinger, I worked, again, with that steel ring, the ball doesn't leave the six-yard box. It's a more difficult skill when you're trying to... It is an out-swing, but really you're not. You're trying to keep the ball straight, so again, it ends up virtually on the edge of the six. You don't want a big booming out-swinging, which is so difficult to to attack for people running in on goal, a ball swinging away from goal is much much harder to actually going attack. In going in different directions, so it's hard to judge. So yeah. again, it's keeping. They wanted me to take the set pieces, but again, you're kind of really whipping your foot over the top of the ball. So again, beat the first man, but don't. Maybe eight yards out from goal is as far away from the goal as you want that ball because you're teammates are probably attacking the ball from the edge of the box or the penalty spot so if they're running in and trying to time it when you take it if you hit it further than eight yards away from the target it's going to end up behind them so again we tried to keep away so they weren't really away swingers they were very flat straight yeah. corners in but again with the pace with the ability to beat the first man the keeper can't judge the trajectory so he can't come and deal with it so so, so why is there not based on what you're saying why is there not a player in each team mm that is capable of doing well, a decent job of Th that. Th there is, but when I watch the set pieces, especially ones that are kind but of, I think a lot of chipped in. A I lot just, of football fans would disagree just, with that. I, I, they see so many corner opportunities wasted. You get the sense that it's not even something that but most, they bother what practicing. I would most left-footed players, again, the majority of footballs are right-footed, but left-footed players, there always seems a natural ease with, with which they strike the ball. So I've always thought, looking at, say, Ryan Bertrand at, at, at Southampton, you can't tell me that if he did the work that I did day after day, he wouldn't he wouldn't be really good at taking in swinging flat pace because he's got a wonderful left yeah. foot. I don't, so whether it's the lack of work or the or maybe because the stats, if you go into the science of it and say, well, actually, our chances of scoring from this. But yeah, but if you got this guy with a great left foot and worked really hard on him, okay, you ideally want to score great goals from open play. But if you did a bit more work with this, it might just enhance your chances of scoring 
from, from free kicks and corners. So it looks to me as if a lot of it is kind of, well, they don't, we don't practice because we don't think it's really that important because just get the ball into the box and get the game restarted. Well, if you're going to do that, take a short corner because what's the point in sending your left back all the way over 60, 70 yards to just chip a set piece into the penalty area, which the keeper catches and it's a waste of time. But I, I just, that's what I don't get is clearly there are people who strike the ball beautifully who just don't seem to... I don't know what the plan is at all. It just seems to be a waste of time. It's kind of really strange. The other thing I sometimes think about watching football is that perhaps defending set pieces from out wide and corner kicks included in that, that practising the defending of it has become better than the practising of the execution of the offensive portion of that set piece. That teams have become so good at organising themselves defensively that is nullifying the skill that you've been well, talking well, about. I, I still, but I, I would still say that if you said to those defenders yes you might be but you have a bit of man for man marking or a bit of zonal marking if, they were, if I said to an experienced centre half who wants to go and head the ball what would be the worst possible delivery into the, into the penalty like I've said with the goalkeepers what do you not want me to do as a set piece taker I don't want it flat I don't want it pacey I don't want a ball that I can't come and punch or catch or deal with right so we're going to do that then so if you said to a centre half what ball into the box do you not want to is the worst possible scenario for you I guarantee they're going to say exactly that where a ball is zipping through I can't judge whether it's going to come off somebody's head I can't my keeper can't come and deal with it you're putting me under a lot more pressure by just making that small change in how you deliver the ball into the box so all you're trying to do is and as a defender I knew I didn't, I didn't want to be facing my own goal with a pacey ball being whipped in because you, you try and judge it you ever so slightly get it wrong it can cannon off you and go into the net as well so I was working from the point of view of what I wouldn't like to deal with I don't want to be running back towards my own goal trying to head it over the crossbar when the ball is moving at pace it's a nightmare so that's all we did we, we put that pressure on the defenders the other thing about corners is, is there any way, not just practising the taking of them, but identifying a weakness amongst the, the opposition that you're going to face? Because I, I noticed doing a game very recently, Napoli against Roma, mm-hmm. and you mentioned they, they've got a very, they've got two very good left-footed corner takers. Go do, they do, do they do kind of what I'm talking about? Well, is it, is it, it a similar thing? It, or? It, it's, it's sort of, yeah, bringing, familiar, bringing familiarity to mind as to mm. the way they try and execute things. But when they take corners from the right, one of their left backs, Goulam, who's injured currently, or Mario Rui, who's deputising, take, take it. And in the game against Roma, the first three corners that Mario Rui took from the right-hand side were all whipped yeah, yeah. right in towards the near post. And I thought, yeah. well, have they identified something about Roma or their go- excellent goalkeeper, Alisson? Yeah, yeah. Is there a weakness? Brazil, is there in, yeah, who will be the Brazilian goalkeeper at the World Cup is, is, have they identified a weakness at his near post from set pieces because then when they took a right footed corner from the left hand side Jose Caijon whose delivery is also he did the same I thing think. and he hit the post the near post okay. so a player is able to perhaps identify or a coach is able to identify weakness and is that something that can be worked possibly on? but as, as I said what we tended to do was cover every eventuality and say yeah maybe there'll be a weakness at the near post or the far post or in the, the centre of goal or they might only have two good headers of the ball we've got four good headers ourselves so we're going to put them under severe pressure but like I said with, with the free, when the corners I took it was kind of I'm, I'm not trying to specifically put the ball just over the, I'm trying to put it into that ring which will create more problems it might be headed at the near post because that's where it the first man gets to the ball and he gets a clearing on his man and he can get his head to the ball first. I might get it ever so slightly wrong, even six inches a foot out and it'll go beyond that first man into the centre of goal. So that's what we tended to do and say, well, we'll play the percentages here. I can't get absolutely... If you said to me, just play 10 near post corners, I could probably do five or six of them and the more you practice, the better you would get. But you don't want to be just the only corner that you take. So what we did... Try, I never intentionally tried to play it to the near post or the centre of goal or the far post. We just covered all those angles just in case I got it ever so slightly wrong because you're trying to put so much pace on it. If you do get under the ball ever so slightly, it will change enormously where it ends up. So we filled all those areas. We very I can't ever remember really booming a ball. You see it so often as well. They try to put too much on it and it ends up going way over the far post and you just think, well, yeah. what on earth was that all about? It's because they're trying to generate too much pace, doing the right thing, but you get your foot under the ball a little bit too much and it just goes way beyond everybody. But very rare. I, I, I didn't put that much on it. It was a whip. It wasn't really with your laces. It was like a whip with your instep. So you've got a bit more control, but still you can't completely guarantee that you're going to be able to drop the ball exactly on the spot between the width of the goalpost. So you had to play the percentage and say, well, if I get it slightly wrong, we've got somebody there who can take advantage of Who was that. your number one target? If, you, if it went, there wasn't. There wasn't. There wasn't. There so was, you had four equal... They just, again, yeah, we had... 
Yeah, there's obviously Duncan Ferguson, who was he normally would attack the centre of goal because you probably feel well. But again, if he took people away, that would open up space for Dave Watson or or would you Paul Rydell. That? Would you think of that? They've, no, they double teaming. That's their job. That's their job. When I took the same thing with wide free kicks, I had a trajectory, I had a corridor to play the ball into, and we worked on this. So they knew, I knew. I'm not looking at them. The ball gets put on the floor. I don't think about anything else. I'm just looking at the ball because all I'm going to do is go whip and how they what happens at the end of it is up to them just I wait can only for the do cheer so, I can only do so much <laughs> but if I again if I put the ball into that corridor defenders running back towards their own goal my teammates running onto the ball it's horrible to defend so that's why we did it we put the defence under as much pressure as we could so short corners which we shall probably now rename chinchless corners mm. where they're restarts and you just try and work a position and an advantage as if the corner had never happened we can understand that that sometimes works but we, we now know that if you didn't before, we now know that you you, you don't see that as any as any benefit. Because there is for that taking... one where you take a short corner, but still try and deliver it. So you you, so you take it short one person out, which you're thinking, okay, you brought. But it's normally. But a, you're a changing the angle. And, you're changing the angle. But it gets more difficult because the ball is on the move. Like Willie Donachie was saying to me, with that's what you work really hard at in open play is to is put, to put the ball into the most dangerous area on the pitch, which is the six yard box. That's what you're looking to do in, in open. You're trying to score goals and get, and that gives you the maximum chance of scoring goals. So if you've got a static ball, okay, the defenders are set and they've got their defensive positions. It gives them a better chance to to, to actually defend it. But a rolling ball, a moving ball. Or being closed down, even if it's one person, it changes everything in terms of how you can deliver the ball because it might get a bobble, you're getting closed down, it might get blocked. You're actually then limiting your ability, I feel, to put a quality ball into the most dangerous area on the pitch. But again, it goes back to if you have that ability from the dead ball to, to put it into that area, then why would you pass it up? It would. There's absolutely no way. I think once or twice, Anders Limpar was very keen to get on with the game. So say we did when he won a corner, maybe. He'd go running out to... The, and, in, in, in a way to try and get the and he used to be they screamed at him leave the but don't start don't take it short don't because we've worked incredibly hard during the week you've done your bit of skill you've got the set piece okay it didn't work out you didn't score but we've got a corner don't take it quickly let's get ourselves set up because we're going to maximise this and Joe Royal and Willie Donachie felt maximising it was to take the set piece and whip it into the box because that's what I had the ability to do it and we had the players to attack it so can you, can you understand teams not having those players? I, I know you said that teams do, do have those they, players, they but if do, they've decided yeah. that yeah. they don't have those players or they don't have the time or the, the desire yeah. to spend all that time preparing, can you understand why they see corners differently? Because you've just talked about it from Joe Royal and, and Willie Donachie's point of view. It was an ideological thing. Mm. This is a strength. Let's use this. If a team or a manager has decided that that is not a strength, can well, you understand so. that if, they... I, you can't tell me you've got a squad of 20 professional players you can't tell me that one of them or two of them can't give you the alternative of whipping a really dangerous just giving you the alternative it, okay, it might take five short corners and one you whip into you can't they can't but the more and more I see corner deliveries it's just like a token restart of the game um, but then again I do watch other teams and they, clearly they have worked a little bit on it but then it may be, be the delivery will let them down they'll hit that first man it'll get ahead and never go what a terrible but they're trying to do the right thing clearly they have worked on it but he's under hit the set the ball into the box which happens but the more you practice the less that will happen but you've got to practice practice and it has to be a feature and we, of course we had some very good players Andre Kanchelskis we had some very good technical players and we scored some great goals but when it came to that aspect of the game like you do in, in open play and what you're trying to achieve with Make the formation you play. Just, right, this is what we've worked on. This is what we're working when we've got the ball in the middle of the pitch. If you're playing with wingers or whatever, you try and service them, get crosses into the box for a big target man. So that's, that's in open play. So when the ball went dead, well, right, this is just another aspect of our game. And this is the strengths that we have. This is what we've worked on day after day after day. It's improved and improved and we're going to cause problems. And it's not just you become a set-piece team. Not at all. We weren't that at all. We just maximised that aspect of the game. Were you at that game at Bloomfield Road this season that Blackpool were in the Premier League and United really struggled? They yes. had a solid yeah. evening. I feel yes. like it was, was uh, a night match. We, did we have fish and chips before? I think we had fish we and chips have. before. Is that all you remember about it? The only time. No, it was raining. Furiously raining. Um, but you and mentioned the fish and chips first. And uh, United came from behind to win 3-2. Is that they right? They were 2-0 down at half-time. And then uh, Dimitar Berbatov and Javier Hernandez got them level. And Berbatov scored right at the end. Two minutes from the end. And United won 3-2. But Charlie... 
Adam mm. from Corners that night was absolutely sensational. Yeah. And that was where the big problem United had uh, Cathcart scored the opening goal, I think, from so the was, corner. So what was Charlie Adam doing exactly? Whipping them in, in the way that you yeah. were describing. Isn't that after which... Sir Alex Ferguson's head, Charlie this Adams, is worth ten million pounds for his corner kick taking ability alone. And it wasn't too much longer after that that Liverpool signed Charlie Adams. But is there a case to be made for almost like that special team player? Is somebody who can take a corner kick or a a, a, a dead ball from out wide well? Is he is he worth a place in the team? On that basis, but sadly, how how has it come to that that it's seen as such a, a special skill? When go back to when I first started playing, that everybody, every team had the ability to do it. It was just maybe I don't know with the way teams want to play, the way Barcelona play, and everyone's falling in, not falling into the trap, but they want to be seen to be. It's altruistic football team. We don't want to score from set pieces and, and because it's a little so bit an, beneath us. Is there a negativity is associated? Yes. Is there a snobbery like, in terms oh, of... Goodness oh. me, that's, that's, that's football, football of, of English days of yore. Yeah, but I remember the and Everton fans were still... The, the first game Joe Royal took charge of, the Merseyside derby, the left-wing corner, uh, sorry, right-wing corner, I whipped it in, Duncan Ferguson climbs over and heads it in. And the, the, I know it's a Merseyside derby, but the joy, it's a goal. You can't say, well, it's a goal, yeah, but I'd rather have taken 20 passes to score. Yeah, we all would, but we're, the teams aren't good enough to be able to do that. And I, I just, and again, with the way that defending has changed and players, I, I do feel, are less brave, that there's even more of a case that teams should be working on this because it probably, you probably have more of a chance these days than you did five, ten years ago. You've spoken about how you would try and create an environment that the defence doesn't want. Mm. Clearly, you're a defender, so you would have to defend set pieces. Yeah. How do you best counter an excellent corner taker such as Andrew Hinchcliffe? What, what would you advise... Um, those defenders to do to try and stop the best and most effectively taken well, corner. There wasn't an awful lot if you think about it. If you talk about playing the percentages, but if it was coming, you, you were how, playing a team I, I, and they were doing it. What would you? Least, you'd have to hope in many ways that because if you're get, if you're getting four very good headers of the ball, four players over six foot attacking a. a Decent delivery in this. Unless you've got a real, and it's just again circumstances. You might have your best centre half just happens to get his head to the ball first. A lot of it is just hoping, because you're taking the keeper out of the equation, which again defensively is a massive minus. So you're then banking on your defenders, in essence, getting their heads because that's what it's going to be. Because the ball is at head height, they're not going to be able to chest it away or volley it away because it's at head height. So they're going to have to be brave, and they're under severe pressure. As I say, they're pulling, they're marking their man, so they're moving back towards their own goal. It's, it takes and teams found it that's why we did it teams there wasn't many there's not a try and say well if you're going to do this if we do this it'll completely nullify it because what we did is very difficult to, to nullify if you can't cut the ball out of the near post it goes over that first man you're in trouble you, you are re really in trouble so then it's going to have to take a very good appreciation of your defensive position you have to be brave in terms of getting in front of your man holding him off and heading the ball in the right direction as well so you're asking a lot of the defenders because you're putting him under such severe pressure. So there's no easy way to defend something when it's delivered properly. There has been a debate which has calmed a little bit to, to a lot of people's appreciation about zonal versus man. Yeah. Clearly there is a zonal plus man. You can do a combination of both. We loved it when Team Zonal marked. I absolutely loved it. The... the, the the old-fashioned view is that zonal marking is newfangled and doesn't work. But then, apparently, of course, the stats tell you the numbers does, tell you. But again, that if it the deliveries more often, yeah. So you're saying that regardless of how a team sets up, the delivery um, trumps that. It, it's everything. It, it counteracts everything. that. It gives you the biggest, biggest advantage. But in theory, now we're not, we're not talking about the most perfect corner mm. because your Andy Hinchcliffe is defending and not taking mm. the corner. Zonal, man, combination of both. Mm -hmm. Or do we try and associate these words unnecessarily because actually no, it's no. just good defending? It has to be. It has to be a combination because I've I've always said if a team just marks zonally against, they never really did because it hadn't really come into the game that teams were, were doing that. You have to you have to man mark the opposite who the the players who want to get on the move. Like the last thing you want Duncan Ferguson to do is get a run and jump. If he runs and jumps. You're not going to be able, if the delivery is right, I don't care how 
good a defender you are, it's impossible. So you have to man-mark players like Paul Ryder. We had Paul Ryder out, Dave Watson, Duncan Ferguson. You have to get touch tight with them and stop them getting on the move because they are the biggest danger to you. If the delivery's right and they're on the move towards your goal, they're just going to run over you because they're too strong. And so you've got to try and stop them making those runs, just block them off, not foul them, but just make life difficult. Then you can maybe mark areas and say, well, right, we're going to do this job on these three guys because they're the most dangerous. But then we'll have maybe three on the six yard box to just worry about the flight of the ball. Because that makes sense because you said that it, the ball. it's not perfect every time. So it makes no, sense exactly, to have yes. some, some but, zonal marking. But the only problem is with zonal marking is if the ball lands between two of you, is it yours? Is it mine? That can, again, we're playing to our hands a little bit. If Duncan Ferguson shrugs somebody off and gets that half a yard, if you've got two players with a space in between them and that ball drops over the first man's head, you get that confusion of, are you going to head it? Am I going to step in and head it? And it causes a lot of confusion. But that would probably be about the only way to have a balance of man marking and zonal marking to say, well, we're doing the very best we can to nullify what the opposition are trying to certainly Everton in that instance that's what we were trying to do so that would maybe but that's why I don't understand it these days there's loads of goals that I see and watching a lot of the championship games watching John Terry play for Villa he starts on the edge of the penalty area and they do try and we've got Snodgrass they've got some very good deliverers of and Conor Horahan very good deliverers of set pieces and the opposition just allow John Terry to run from the edge of the box and jump because and they're, me, just, they're marking zonally. Because they're marking zonally. And I, I think, OK, you can mark zonally, but that's John Terry. We know how dangerous. If that delivery is right, how on earth is a man who's standing watching the ball? You're never going to get to it first if someone else is on the move because they're naturally probably going to get to the ball in front of you because they can judge the flight and they can move. But if you're standing still and trying to jump and head it away, it makes it incredible. So I just find it incredible. Just send one of your defenders to stand next to him and make life difficult for him because he's the biggest danger that you face. But we had three or four players who would attack the ball, which again, then have you got three or four really disciplined defenders? So I noticed Man City do it as well with they had Kevin De Bruyne did a game against Huddersfield where they had zonal marking on the edge of the six yard box. They were doing some man marking, but they had Kevin De Bruyne marking, I think, um, Schindler, the centre half from Huddersfield. I thought, how can, because he's not a natural defender, surely one of your centre halves would mark their centre half because you'd know what he's trying to achieve you wouldn't have a creative midfielder so it's a why and they why? conceded they conceded a couple of goals from set pieces T- tell me why you think that. it is because clearly Guardiola is a guy who's, who's because he wants through. his defenders are presumably his, his defenders free and not actually having to worry about marking anybody because they want to, to go break. and attack the ball yeah. to, and break back up the field but he'll have Otamendi maybe company or John Stones right I don't want you worrying about defending against anybody I want you just to go and attack that ball but that, there's probably less chance of that happening than Schindler getting away from his man and getting again a run on a static defender so it's a risky and they did there's a few games they conceded against Huddersfield they should have conceded two against Southampton in a game that I saw again the same problem a bit of zonal marking but it's the players that they had man marking that I found confusing is that but you're probably right he wanted De Bruyne when it's headed clear De Bruyne's back up the field so he wants you on the edge of the box so you, you mark their centre half but hopefully you won't head it in and if he doesn't we're back up the field and you're leading the charge back up the field what about more basic things if you're defending a corner men on the post yes, or yes, both yes. or one or the other I'd, we well I always go back to what we and I wonder why this has always been the case and then I spoke who is it that told me Jim Beglin Jim Beglin who yeah. knows a lot more about defending than I've ever done and I was having this debate with him there was goals I think a goal had been f- near post flick on gone in at the far post no one on the far post and I said to Jim about when you were playing Liverpool the success that you had he said yeah we always had um, players on the post and I said might seem a silly question but why and he said well it makes the target smaller ok you can clear the ball off the line but if you have two players it makes the target yeah. smaller for the opposition. So just in that regard, if you're thinking, well, right, we're going to try and make it as difficult as possible for the opposition to score, let's make what they're aiming at smaller. So put two players on the post and then you've narrowed the width of the, of the post by the players standing there. So that, again, thought, well, that, that's it. That's, that's why you would do And you also have the spare men because the opposition only send up maybe four or five. You, normally everybody comes back to defence. So you can always put people on the posts. And when lines are cleared, then, of course, you've got to clear your line, get up the field, get off the post. But initially, you're making the target smaller, which makes sense to me. Well, another then relatively straightforward thing, and as you just mentioned, the numerical advantage of yeah. the defending team from those situations, yeah. you're taking the corner. I'm organised. I'm in goal. I'm organising my defence. Mm. I send strapping Hugh Ferris yes. out to close down the angle, to stand on that 10-yard mark away yeah, yeah. from where the, the corner quadrant is. Yeah, yeah. 
how do you feel about that as a, as a corner taker? Is that a good thing for the defending team to do? Does it make your life more so difficult? So where's he standing again? So he's, he's, he's come out to be within 10 yards of the dead ball situation. Little, there's oh. a little line on the goal. Is, is he, can he stand so in a position? Yards, 10 yards from yeah, me? Yeah, 10 yards from you. Can he stand, or even if you send two players out, mm. can they stand, can they effectively form a wall from a corner? No, but I want your, that. You no, want but I want that. that. Yeah. Why do you well, want, I want that? that? Because I used, I used, because again, I'm not concerned about them. Because if I get it right, that ball is going to sail four, five feet over their heads. If, so I, that, if I hit them, I'm doing something seriously wrong. Because when I took free kicks, I wanted the opposition to set a wall up because it's not actually making my life more difficult. It's making the goalkeeper's life more difficult because my concentration is on my contact. I'm not going to go anywhere near the wall. And all the free kicks that I scored, the wall is complete. I use the wall. The keeper, actually, the wall then blocks his view of the ball. He only sees it when it's cleared the wall. And by then it's too late because there's too much pace on the ball and hopefully it's accurate. He can't react quickly enough. So I used to say, if you put maybe two people in a wall on the edge of the box, that would probably make my life a bit more difficult because the keeper can see the ball and I can't use those two players as a screen. But if you send them out for a, sh for a corner, ten, if they're 10 yards away from me and I hit them, even in the face... I'm so way off what I'm trying to achieve. It's it's ridiculous. If you was there, you'd be trying to hit I him in the face. I want to hit him Listen, in the face. He looks like he's been hit in the face. Fearless, fearless Hugh Ferris standing 10 yards away from an Annie Hinchcliffe corner. I'd be like, I dare you to hit me in the face. But You'd just be grateful you didn't have to mark Ferguson. But that, that's, 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 well, teams, <laughs> there would be no marking. There would just be trampling. <laughs> but teams don't tend to do that. Because I've, I've never understood that. Because if the, if the corner taker's worth his soul... It's like saying someone stands 10 yards away from you. Can you not pass the ball no, over you don't, his head? You don't, see it, you don't see it as much anymore. But I just wonder whether there was yeah. anything that you could do as a defending team to disrupt the rhythm of an exceptional corner No, but again, that helps taker. me. Because if you do, again, if you're trying to, of course, they're trying to block the ball into the box. But again, they're providing a bit of a screen. And depending where they stand, if they stand right on the byline, again, the keeper might be, and what we always did was put Graham Stewart standing on top of the goalkeeper, not fouling him just standing in front of him. So again, not necessarily impeding him, but making it difficult for him to see the ball. He's having to adjust his body and lean round people. So if he sends two people out to, to try and block my corner into the box, again, he's going to have a trouble seeing through them to see the ball. Again, he'll only see it when it clears the heads of his two defenders. So again, he's got less time to react again. So he's playing into my hands. So I'd say, yeah, if you want to do that, send three, four people out here. It'd be brilliant. Let's finish with the exponents of corner taking in the current game who you've seen. Oh, blimey, this will be a short list. Is because, that, well, that's the point. <laughs> that's, that's probably actually, though, isn't it? This is interesting. On the continent, like you're saying about, was it with Napoli you were talking Who are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think that Napoli. Yeah, what what Nap corners over, are they, to me, whether it can't be true completely in the Premier League that all teams don't seem to bother anymore. But on the continent, in Germany, in Italy, would they, does it look like they would, practice a little bit is it like they're trying to score from these We've, corners we or? have talked about this on the podcast before in most of continental Europe the at the response to your team winning a corner kick is nowhere near the equivalent to what ah. it is in English football there is not the roar that's the always, been the case. They, always been the case they or? understand much more clearly that it is an opportunity to restart the game okay so I don't necessarily see, think you see corners being swung in with intended to, which is what, why my moves away see Milan felt. You were the Charlie Adams, only for your corners, <laughs> and they realised that. But okay, so the, so the the people that you've seen, and it, it can be a short list because you know we want to wrap this conversation up. So being short is absolutely fine. If we mention so you, because you watch a lot of football as well, I'm trying to think of people off the top of my head. Um, the team that I watch most often take short corners all the time. Take so, short, okay. Yeah, I can, but the thing is, you've got somebody like Kevin De Bruyne who has an incredible mm. ability to mm -hmm. strike the ball in the way that you've been describing, but they but they don't use him for but that. They use him for that in wide set pieces yeah, in terms yeah. of free kicks, yeah. and he's also brilliant with the ball on the move, but they, they don't well, tend to use it. City, well, rarely, yeah. rarely. City have the luxury of being so good from open play so who, who that else? they don't need to score from corners. So it's just get the ball, get the game restarted. We've got David Silva. We, got, we don't need to score from a corner because we're going to score anyway. So that, again, they're so good that that's the same with Barcelona when they again, were so it, good. It's a little short corner. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pointless. Yeah, you don't need but to because we're going to score You must have anyway. seen, you know, you mentioned um, that you want to watch a lot of championship games as well. Is there anybody that makes you think, oh, I'm glad they've got a corner because I'm going to see this guy take it? And the last game I actually did, um, a Crystal Palace game, Andros Townsend left-footed. I think I'm sure I said in commentary, it, it was textbook what he did. He whipped that ball in, beat the near post man. It cannoned off James MacArthur, one of his own players. But actually, he did, again did everything right. They got a player onto the end of the ball. It just actually bounced off him and went away from goal rather than toward goal. So 
that was it's so rare. That's the, that's why it really stands out because it's so rare. It used to be well, everybody does this and clearly works very hard. And it's the Palace have gone, but they had Christian Benteke, Alex Serlot, two six foot plus centre forwards, the St. Tompkins and stuff. So they've got the big players that I maybe had at Everton to to knock the ball in towards. So again, Roy Hodgson has probably it's said, well, I've, I've yeah. got a good yeah. corner taker here. We're under pressure. We need wins. We need goals. We need points. Let's again. Let, let's let's get the ball into the box and give these big lads something to attack. And that Townsend was very very good. Very good. Good corner takers at set piece menu. Set piece menu at gmail.com. T- Ten million pounds worth of corner taking ability at the very least. Across, That's up, across Charlie Europe, Adam is your benchmark. Across Europe would interest me currently because you know clearly there's some very talented free kick. People just think well our free kick takers the same as corner takers. I'm not sure that it is. It's normally a lot of fullbacks tend to go and take certainly left backs tend to take a lot of you see that a lot in Italy in Italy as well yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thing. but then when it comes to free kicks I used to take them for Everton but it tends to be then the midfielder will yeah. step in and I'll do this well, so it tends to change doesn't it fewer left footed players perhaps yeah. it means that the left back is often left footed and so he, but the strange he, thing is the more you practice the kind of the um, the technique for taking corners actually was exactly the same technique that you'd use for free kicks so it benefited me to practice corners because you do the same thing that pacey whip beating the wall keep the ball maybe two feet over the wall that's exactly what you did on a, on a corner two final things first of all why do strikers take corners well they should th- <laughs> Harry Kane at Euro 2016 he's a great deliverer so they're thinking well he's a great deliverer and we've got other surely people surely it doesn't but matter where you're playing you, you want two Harry Kanes you want him to play the ball in because he can do that and get on the end of it and if well, you've got so. one Harry Kane what do you do well you, there must be somebody there. they have got other <laughs> people Kyle Walker they've got good strikers of the ball Ryan, Bert- Ryan Bertrand they had um, Leighton Baines Leighton Baines is probably the one I would say he's not playing for a while through injury Leighton Baines fantastic delivery with his left foot I've spotted a business opportunity here Hugh we yeah. need to Pimp Chinch out to Premier League clubs. <laughs> chinch those steel rings. We get those steel rings. Get, 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 you've got your tactics board <laughs> delivered through the post. If you can get yourself a steel ring delivered through the post, we can send it. There's loads of Premier League clubs around the North West. We'll get Chinch in one day a week, mm. take their potentially best corner kick taker and for make training them better. an hour a week. We'll make an absolute fortune. Make corner like, takers great there's again. A log- there's a logic to it. You, you know, however bad you are, you're generally going to win, what, between five to ten corners a game? Yeah. Those are five to ten opportunities Jesus. to score a goal that you might not otherwise get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's my whole point. And the final thing from Andrew Everett. Can anyone explain the modern craze of corner takers placing the ball outside the designated area? Is it simply for the thrill of getting away with something? Isn't it? Apparently it has to just... The ball doesn't have to be in the corner. Is that right? It, it, it just has to touch, touch the outside of but the But a lot line. of times it doesn't. It goes even but further. To, to me, but what's the benefit? What's apart the from the fact that they're petulant teenagers in their mind. They're li- what, <laughs> g- gaining like three centimetres. When has six <laughs> extra inches ever helped a man? You know? <laughs> what's the point? Do you get... Do you get... As I very quickly gloss over that. Do you get any competitive advantage from having it not on the white line? As in, does it help no, you strike not, it? No, no, because obviously... So the they, corner, they they if you, children. The only the problem is, is the corner flag. If you're taking, certainly if you're left-footed and taking an away swinger, you've got to make sure you don't kick the flag before you kick the ball because, yeah, that's kind of, it's not going to make any difference whether you move it six inches further forward or slightly so to the left so or why? the right. Why? I, I don't really think it's closer to the goal. I've got more so chance to score. Yeah, but you're still quite a distance away. But psychologically, you don't know what goes, and again, you I just, think they just like getting away with stuff. Well, that's the, they, like to, they like to be naughty. But again, if I went into a, a Premier League club and talked to their free kick taker about the process they go through, would they have thought, would they have been, have they discussed it as scientifically as I was taught with Willie Donachie about the process of saying well why do golfers do this why do rugby place kickers for rugby I, they, they sent me to Sale Sharks to watch the place kicker static ball what process do they go through they're putting the ball into a target you watch Johnny Wilkinson not does he put the ball between the posts he puts the ball through the middle of the po- that comes from what practice ability and practice so Willie Donachie said that ball isn't going to move you're in complete charge of it. The wind might be blowing, but the ball's going to be in the air three seconds. And those great, those great players so, like Johnny Wilkinson are neurotic practices. Well, that's why they're incredibly good. But Willie was so well, they chase the, the ball's a different shape, but it's not really. The contact you're making on the ball with a, a football boot or a rugby boot is a tiny bit of leather. So practice getting that contact right. So we hope you've learned something. We also hope that you've learned about our new business venture, which Steve and I will be taking at least 50% of as Andy Hinchcliffe tours around Wireless all hoops. football clubs. <laughs> get your hoops here. You can start at West, Westinsbury and Chilton AFC. And oh, we'll get a free kick. We'll have a free a kick corner school, shall we? A yes. seminar no, if you 
they will be surging up the North West Counties Premier Division in no time. Now, on account of the fact that uh, Mr Andrew Hinchcliffe has to go to Portugal for the next couple of weeks to yes. oversee the building of a house which currently has apparently two sinks and no extractor fan, uh, we will um, indulge ourselves even further in his company by asking him uh, to tell a soccer story. Yes, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Now... I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Watford. Now, okay, mainly Elton John. But anyway, <laughs> this, is a, this is a recent story. I did a game, Watford-Chelsea, where Watford played really well and won the game, but turned up at Vicarage Road. And I do a fair amount of Premier League games. So I think you, you get an idea that people might have heard you or see you at games quite regularly. I've been to Watford quite regularly. So there's a steward on the, the big, heavy metal gates as you, as you go into Watford. So <laughs> I walk up to him and he goes, ah, I know you, don't I? And you know you're thinking, oh, here we go again. Do you want an autograph? Is it for your, your sister again, is it? And he said, I, I've seen you on telly. I know who you are. I was going, oh, oh, please. Yeah, you probably do. You probably do. You probably see me on telly a lot. And he said, uh, I thought you were managing Everton. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, I thought you, weren't you in charge of Everton? What are you doing here? And I said, who do you think? He said, are you Dave Unsworth? <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, brilliant. Seriously. Who, who during his Seriously. spell in charge of Everton, you were incredibly rude about the size of the well, man. I, and I looked at this guy and he was deadly and he was trying to convince me. Are you sure you're not Dave Unsworth? No. How, Dave Unsworth will be upset because he's a very good looking lad. Clearly, I'm not. But <laughs> this Dave, is the man you referred to as Dave Double Substitution. Unsworth. The Rhino. He was a big guy. Even when he's interviewed now, he can see he's a big guy. And he said, "But to say, wait a minute, you're commentating tonight. Shouldn't you be managing Everton?" And then you start to think, who does he think? Howard Kendall's dead. Can't be him. Well, he's Dave Unsworth. At, at least it wasn't Sam Allardyce. Right, that would have been a much oh, better punchline. Next time you tell the story, tell, <laughs> it, tell, it, was, tell it with Sam you know Allardyce. That, oh, oh, you've recognised me, have you? Oh, what do you want, Dave Unsworth? Do me a favour. <laughs> uh, what we've learned is to always, always assume that nobody wants our autograph or, our, <laughs> or a photograph or anything from us because it will always end in failure. Uh, thank you, Andy. Um, at Seppi's Menu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com is where we'd like to get you in touch with us about the best corner takers that you've seen recently, um, the SPMPL more correspondence on that please as ever, things that bring you joy uh, what's the best goal not which is the best goal, all these things we will continue over the weeks, uh, so do please get in touch at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Andy and Steve. Rory's back next week. Andy's not here next week. Mm. Thanks to you all for listening. Uh, We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. It's trifle time. Oh, I forgot about it. There's a choice. There's a choice. Uh, We have two trifles. No, I won't get two trifles, would I? Listen, if you're a double trifle man, you're you're fast on that road to Dave Unsworth. (laughs) Well, I am, yes, that's true. And maybe I should do that just to make that steward's life a bit easier. You should always say that. Just gain about five stone and then... I wouldn't have that embarrassment Just when I went yes, back. Just say, yes, I'm Dave Unsworth yes, and yes, sign I something am. for him. Yes. Could you get yourself an Everton tracksuit for the next time you go to work? <laughs> oh, for God's sake. But I just... So list the people <sighs> that you've been confused for. Peter Beardsley. Peter David Beardsley. Unsworth, Ian Dowie. Ian Dowie. <laughs> David White. Who again... These are all good-looking <laughs> fellas, aren't None they? None of these are working in They're your favour. quite favor. heavy people. Do you think they also get confused with you? Do you think somebody saw Dave Unsworth recently and said, um, Wait a minute, I know you. Weren't you at Watford recently? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was managing Everton. You're Andy Hinchcliffe. What? I don't I'm think any more offended. You'd be really <laughs> offended, wouldn't you? You would. You would. Chinch would get his hopes up if, if someone stopped to go, I, I know you from somewhere. Mm. You, England debut against <laughs> Moldova. Ah, yes. Mid- 1990s. Yeah, yeah, you're on the right line. Aren't you supposed to be in Miami?